okay? I want to begin with a word of scripture uh, this morning. And I ask you to bear with my voice. It's a little rough today. But I don't want that to be a distraction because I believe what God has to say today is very important. And so I know Andrew will help me out with the mic up there to, to be heard, okay? So, I want to share a text with you that comes from Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he turned it down just a hair, okay? He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you worshiping you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, seeking to humble ourselves before you, uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to be honest with you, and to think about what it is that you've called us to, to be willing to submit ourselves to do whatever it takes to grow in Christ so that we can be ready to take up the cross and to do the things that you've called us to. For, Lord, in that day, we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we no way would want us, you to be ashamed of, of us or the walk that we've, we've run. Father, I lift up our church to you. I lift up the wealth of it, the health of it. Not for that sake, but for your sake. We have many people that are sick right now, and we just pray your healing hand upon them. And, Father, that you'll continue to grow our faith in what you can do and not in necessarily what we can do. But, Lord, that we recognize that you're leading us and guiding us and that we can walk with you and be successful in the things you've called us to. Now we lift it up today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're having a few technical difficulties up there today, so we ask you to get your hymnals out. Uh-huh. That's what those things are in front of you. And we're going to turn to page, we're going to stand and turn to page 547. Page 547. Oh 
back here are supposed to remind me to tell you what page it's on. It's on page 335. It's been a long time since I've said those things. Okay, here we go. Verse 2. Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fears assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing on the promises Standing on the promises Standing on the promises of God childhood. Please turn around and we have lots of visitors this morning. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. So turn around and say hello to your brothers and sisters. Good morning, everyone. If y'all could go ahead and start making your way back to your seats, please. I have to say, it is fantastic to see all these wonderful faces here. Um, my name is Tori Connell. If I have not had the pleasure to meet you, I'm the student minister here. And just welcome, we're glad you're here with us today. I only have a couple of announcements. Uh, the big one today, please stick around after service is we have a business meeting. There'll be a lot of important material discussed. So right after service, um, we'll let you get up, get your little bathroom break, but then come back in. We do have a business meeting today after service. 
Uh, for any other announcements, please refer to your bulletin as to what classes and different things we have going on uh, that are being offered here at FBC. We would love for you to get involved in many different ways here. If you have any questions, please come talk to me, Pastor Dave, uh, Ms. Debbie, or Ms. Judy. We'd love to just get you involved here. With that being said, if you will continue to stand and sing with the rest of your brothers and sisters this morning. Stand up and we're going to sing uh, page 546 and then move right into page 544. 546 right into page 544.
Thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence, your love. Father, we ask you to bless this offering that we give you now, that it will go to take care of all the things that you have for us to do in this church. We thank you for your love, for your patience, for your guidance. Father, we thank you for all these new lives that are in the room, and Father, for all those that have gone before. In thy precious holy name I pray, amen.
Well, you probably didn't know just how valuable you really are. But it is good to know, isn't it? He thinks you're somebody special. Somebody worth going to the cross for. And I think we ought to look at each other that way, too. <clears throat> you know, you sometimes you might not agree 100% with somebody, but they're valuable in God's eyes. You might look across the sea and find somebody uh, that's an enemy, but they're valuable to Jesus. And he says to love them and those that persecute you and pray for those that do so. Well, if, you're, uh, if you have a bulletin, you probably see there the sermon title says, Running the Christian Race Part 2. Now, that's great for everybody who was here last week. For, for those uh, who might not have been there here last week due to some circumstances beyond their control, I'll bring you up to speed real quick. Because what we did is we began a series of looking at five words uh, that help us discover what it means to be a Christian who's maturing in Christ. Because I believe that ultimately that's the goal. Uh, the Bible says in the first part of Philippians uh, that, that it's the Lord Jesus who is going to complete this work of maturity in us. Okay, uh, It's going to happen in time and we will be made like him when we see him. But in the meantime, we're working toward that. Okay. So two of the words that we looked at last uh, week, we're going to talk about briefly. The first one is the word dissatisfied. A Christian who is seeking to grow in Christ Jesus is dissatisfied with running a mediocre race. In other words, just a half-hearted, kind of apathetic uh, desire is not going to get the job done, and they want to run their race uh, to please the Lord. So that first word was dissatisfied. And so, therefore, he or she is devoted to the Lord, uh, devoted, singularly uh, devoted to him uh, and to follow him with all of their heart and soul. Now, the truth of the matter is, if it was all up to us, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Boy, I'm just going to get up tomorrow, I'm going to have a good bowl of cereal, and I'm going to go out and win the victory. Well, that wouldn't work, would it? We'd find ourselves stumbling pretty quick because in of ourselves, we can't really get much done. Uh, we might have an initial desire, but it seems to wane along the way. And the good news is that Jesus provides help. He sees us in our condition as we are, and he provides help along the way, which leads us to a third word, the word direction. Direction. 
Growing Christians recognize and obey the Lord's directions. Now, in order, of course, for you to know what his directions are, you're going to have to spend some time in the Word, aren't you? Okay? And you're going to have to spend some time uh, listening uh, to the messages that the Lord provides. And maybe be diligent enough to get involved in a Bible study and to open up the Word with other Christians and learn, or maybe go to an evening time Bible study. But to go a little bit above and beyond is what's necessary if we're going to run something that's not mediocre. Okay? Now think with me for just a moment as we, uh, that to back to that moment when Jesus spoke to Saul uh, on the road to Damascus. What direction was Saul going in his life? We know he was on the road to Damascus, but what was he doing? Well, he thought he was diligently serving God, didn't he? He thought Jesus was an upstart rabbi that was trying to get a following. He did not believe that Jesus was a Messiah. And so his direction that he was going was to round up followers of this man called Jesus. He called them followers of the way. Now, that's the direction he was going. But after Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus and got a hold of his life, he stopped him dead in his tracks. And Jesus had new directions for him. Uh, specifically, he was to go to Damascus, which is the place he was originally going, but not for the same purpose. He was going to go down to a guy's house that lived on Straight Street. I think it's interesting that they even included the street name. That's pretty specific, isn't it? And there, uh, Paul waited. And the Bible says that he was blinded with something like scales on his eyes. And so he's waiting for more information. He's waiting for more direction from God. And he's not going to move out till God's ready. Okay? And he's questioning all of these things in his mind. I thought I was going the right direction. You ever found, uh, thought you were going the right direction and found out you weren't? Not good, is it? And sometimes God has to get your attention. Has to get my attention. But the Bible also tells us that God spoke to another man named Ananias. Ananias was a devout Christian who was spending time seeking God out. And God spoke to him and said, Ananias, I want you to go down there and see this guy named Saul, whose he hadn't, named, hadn't been changed yet. And I want you to tell him some things. Okay? So just as God expected Paul to follow his direction, so he expected Ananias, a devout follower of Christ, to follow his directions. Now, Ananias had heard about Saul, and he had some, some uh, legitimate concerns, right? Hey, this guy's like, he rounds people's ups and kills them and stuff. Okay? But God's still stoked. He says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, though Paul originally went to Damascus to persecute Christians, immediately after God gets a hold of him and changes his direction, he goes to town and preaches Jesus. Oh, before he denied the Messiahship of Jesus, now he's preaching the message of Christ. Isn't that amazing? When somebody gets serious with God, how he changes their direction. And Paul tells us some important things about how to keep our lives headed in the right direction. If you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I want to read our text right here, and then we're going to come back.
Paul says, not that I have already attained or are many perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting these things, those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Now that's the central heart of the text that we're going to look at. But one of the goals and one of the ways to keep going the right direction is what Paul says in verse 13. He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, stop and think with me for just a moment. What would happen if you or I lived our lives like this? Well, we'd, we'd bump into things, wouldn't we? And, and occasionally, we might even fall down and get hurt. It's not a good thing, okay, to be trying to walk forward and looking back the whole time. And Paul understood to be successful in running his Christian race, he could not be looking behind him all the time and be successful. You know, all of us have experienced the pain that comes from dwelling too long in the past, have we not? Sometimes looking back can lead to a real disaster. I remember a time that I'll just never forget this. It was so traumatic. <clears throat> I was between five and six years old. And as was my normal daily routine at that time, because we didn't have video games and tons of television shows to watch, um, uh, mom had said, well, okay, you go out and play. And there was a bunch of neighbors around the neighborhood. That's back in the day before everybody had a garage door that went down when they came home and nobody ever came out and talked to each other. You know, where you could go next door and get some sugar or flour for something that mom was cooking from your neighbor. We all knew each other. And I went across to see my friend Bobby, who I saw out in the front yard, uh, who was about my age. And his mother, Geneva, was out there working in the yard. And I go over there, and he has a bright idea. You ever run into a kid with lots of bright ideas? <laughs> well, he had the bright idea that there was a, since there was a yellow jacket nest up underneath the planter in front of their house, that we ought to knock it down. And, of course, I was fool enough to listen to him. And several times she said, Bobby, get away from that thing. Y'all gonna mess around and get hurt. Of course, we didn't listen. He had this old bas baseball bat, and he threw it up under there and tried to hit him, and he missed. And then he threw it up there again, and he missed. I said, give me that thing. Well, in very short order, I got it. And about 30 or 40 little yellow jackets came flying out from under there. Now, at the time, I didn't realize that I was hyper allergic to bee stings. Okay. So we take off running like mad. I get halfway across the street, and I thought to myself, you know, I've run pretty far. I bet they're not back there anymore. I'll just turn around and check it out. So I turned it around, and there was a yellow jacket about eight inches from my nose. And I was frozen in fear, frozen in time. I could not move. I was paralyzed. And I watched him come in and deposit once, twice. He backed up and got me again. I was so stupid, I didn't move. So I finally got to the house, and by that afternoon, I had to just peel my eyelid open to be able to see. It was just like that, just 
And of course, the neighbors came by. I was sitting on the front porch with my mom feeling sorry for myself. And they said, wow, look at him. Wow, look at him. That's how bad it was. That was one time when looking back was a disaster. To live that way as a Christian is a bad thing. It's not a good thing for you to look back at all of those things that you regret. Paul knew it was impossible to be successful looking back all the time. But what does he really mean when he says forgetting those things which are behind? You ever wonder about that? Can any of us really ever forget things in the past? No, not really. After all, the Lord gave you a memory for a reason, didn't he? If we didn't, if we didn't have the ability to remember and to remember well, we wouldn't have the ability to accumulate knowledge, would we? Uh, we wouldn't be able to learn and grow. We wouldn't be able to uh, listen to instructors uh, and learn and grow. We wouldn't be able to walk with the Lord and learn from experience. For in the Bible, God calls his people back to remember many times the things that he's done for them. It's good to remember certain things. Not so good to dwell on things that are not good. So we need to differentiate that. What Paul means is he's not allowing his past successes sins or failures to interfere with his Christian growth. That's what he means. Because Paul could have gone back and he could have dwelt on his success. Hey, look, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, I was uh, a catch me out. I mean, I could keep the law better than anybody else. Uh, I've planted churches here and there. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ. Uh, he could have just really got on his, his soapbox and told us about all the good things. But you know what he said about that? He said, I count that as rubbish. I count that to be a pile of poop in exchange for the knowledge of knowing Jesus. But he could have also done the same things with his past. He could have dwelt there in the past. He could have thought about all the people that he persecuted. And you can imagine what kind of heyday the, the devil would have had with him if he'd have done that. He could have said, you remember when you stood by and gave approval of Stephen's innocent murder? And he could have dwelt right there, and that wouldn't have been good for him either. It's not uncommon for someone today to hold on to some moment of glory in the past. You've probably run into him from time to time. Do you know so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, I know him. He won the championship game in Godly High School. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have won and they went to state. I don't know if Godly's ever gone to state, but if, if you had of, everybody would have heard about it, right? And there'd have been one guy that, that led the team to victory, and now that victory is just, uh, it overshadows his whole life, okay? Or she won the beauty pageant, and that defines their life. It's very easy for that to happen. And sometimes you can, that can work the opposite. Let me ask you a question. Are you ever tempted to live in the past? You ever find yourself mind going back? It can happen, can it? It's good to learn from past mistakes, but it's paramount that we let those failures go. Let them go. Let your past regret go. Let your past failures go. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you can do about some failure from 10 years ago? Or some regret that you had 20 years ago? Nothing. But what you can do is change today. Okay? 
and you can make sure that you keep an eye on tomorrow. So don't let the past track you down. I came across this little story that says it well. It's called The City of Regret. The City of Regret. I want to share part of it with you. It goes like this. I had not really planned to take a trip this year, yet found myself packing anyway. And off I went dreading it. I was on another guilt trip. I booked my reservation on Wish I Had Airlines. I didn't check my bags. Everyone carries their own baggage on this airline. And I had to drag it for what seemed like miles through Regret City Airport. And I could see people from all over the world were there with me, limping along under the weight of their bags. They packed themselves. I caught a cab to the last resort hotel. The driver taking the whole trip backward, looking over his shoulder. And there I found the ballroom, where my event would be held, the annual pity party. As I checked in, I saw that all my old colleagues were there on the guest list. The Dunn family, woulda, shoulda, and coulda. Both of the opportunities Smiths were there, missed and lost. All the yesterdays, why, there were too many to count, but all would have stories to tell. Shattered dreams, broken promises would be there too. Along with their friends, don't blame me, and I couldn't help it. And of course, hours and hours of entertainment would be provided by that renowned storyteller. It's their fault. As I prepared to settle in for a long night, I realized that one person had the power to send all these people home and break up the party, me. All I had to do was return to the present and welcome the new day. A race in our text. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, remember once again where he is. He's in prison. Doesn't sound like something that you would read from somebody coming from that situation. But in Paul's mind, he's in a race. He's in a race toward Jesus Christ. A race that never ends on this earth till you step out. Okay, And that's where he's headed. He knows where he's headed. But as long as he's alive, he's running. I like that. I like that attitude that he has. He was a determined, doggedly determined sort of guy. Whatever he did, he gave it all he had. If he was persecuting the church, he was the best persecutor. If he was preaching the gospel, he was getting out there and getting her done. I like it. Why was he so determined? Because he always kept the goal in mind. That's important. Students especially, that's important. Keep the goal in mind. When you get discouraged, keep the goal in mind and run toward the goal that you're going for. That is so important for us. He is running toward the upward call of God. God is calling all men to himself. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And so there's this continual pursuit from God pursuing us. He's calling us toward himself. He's calling us toward Jesus. That's what he's calling us toward. And what he's saying is, I want to reach the point of completeness. Now, I know I'll never get there 100% until I get there. And truth be told, none of us will be complete until we get that new res resurrection body, okay? But that's what we're running for. Even though he was in prison, for him, every day with Jesus 
was sweeter than the day before. Just like that old hymn says. I love the old hymns. And turning those pages this morning, okay, I saw, I heard you turning pages. Kind of reminds me of how it used to be many years ago. There were some good things. The truth is, all of us are tempted on occasion to stop running. We're all tempted sometimes just to quit or sit down or stay home. I read the saddest article this past week by a man that writes Bible studies monthly for Christians all over. And in the article, he was, he was so upset and discouraged over the fact that 20 to 25 percent of Christians before COVID that were running the race uh, toward the goal had just stopped. He says, I just don't understand it. I don't understand how somebody could run after Christ so hard and then just sit down and quit. And he says, I wonder if those people ever had any real faith to start with. That's a good question, isn't it? You know, sometimes we have legitimate excuses for why we don't run. But sometimes we just don't. And there's no explanation. But friends, if you'll stay focused on Jesus, he will keep you desiring him. That's how it works. With him, you can gain a new perspective on your problems. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think it is who allows you to have problems to begin with? You know, day to day, week to week, or maybe those really big problems. And you know that God is the one that allows that to happen to you. Well, how could he do that? Why would he do that? Because he wants to keep you moving forward with him. He wants to keep you seeking beyond what you can do to what he can do. So that you'll be able to see there's going to be things that come into your life that you can't handle. But if you'll trust in him with all your heart, he'll help you handle them. And over time, you'll begin to see, you know, when I call out to God in my distresses, he helps me. And the truth is, because he wants to have a relationship with you, he wants you to call out to him even in the good times. And that makes those good times even better. Because you get to see who God is. We studied in our Sunday school lesson this morning about David and how God replaced Saul, King Saul, with David. And one of the things about David that made him so special is he knew God. And the closer he got to God, the closer he knew what God could do. That is so important. That's growing in Christ through the hardships. The Lord allows adversity into your life to grow your faith. I read about a man, May 28, 1992, a man named Bedrin Smalvik, the lead cellist in the Sarajevo Opera. He put on his formal black tails and tie, and he went out with a, a scorched wooden chair and his cello, and he sat down in the middle of a bomb crater next to a bakery that used to be there. It was his hometown. The day before, 22 people were waiting in line to buy bread when a bomb blew up and killed them. And since that time, people were afraid to go out on the street. They were afraid they were going to get bombed or killed by a sniper. So he put on his best clothes that he had, got out his cello, and he went with that chair and sat in the middle of a bomb crater 
And he decided to challenge the ugliness and adversity of war with the only thing that he could do, and that was to give beauty. He became the cellist of Sarajevo, and for 22 days, one for each person lost, he played his cello. And people were amazed. He was never killed, never fired out or anything. And one day a reporter came to him and said, isn't it crazy to sit out in a bomb crater in the middle of a war? He goes, let me ask you a question. Isn't it crazier for someone to bomb Sarajevo? There's a lot of evil in the world. But with Jesus, you can overcome it. You see, Jesus is the ultimate overcomer. Think about it. Though he was God in human flesh, the deck was stacked against him from the very beginning. He had to overcome the expectations of people around him. They didn't think too much. His family did. He thought he was crazy. He had to overcome the temptations of Satan for 40 days out there in the wilderness. He had to overcome sin so that he lived a perfect life. He had to overcome death, a cruel, horrible death. He had to overcome the grave in order to win your victory and mine. Jesus is the overcomer. And if you run hard after him, you'll be an overcomer too. Now that's what we're called to do, to run hard after Jesus. Overcomers don't quit when the going gets tough. Why? Because they're determined to run the race with Jesus. For those of you who've seen the movie The Chariots of Fire, you remember that famous Scottish, Eric Liddell. 1923, he ran in a regional contest. France and Scotland were competing in the 440-yard race. And after the race began, the runners all bunched up together. And unfortunately, in the, in the course of the race, he was shoved and he fell down on the ground and even came off the track briefly. But he popped right back up and he began to run. 20 meters behind, he took off running. And he edged out the leader by a hair. Amazing, one of the most amazing come from behind victories ever, ever recorded. Now, of course... Most runners, if they got knocked down like that, would have just quit. They'd have thought in their mind, there's no way that I'm going to be able to catch back up. But he wasn't running just for himself. According to him, he was running for God. And I love his statement that he makes. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. I like that. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Let me ask you a question. When you run your Christian race from day to day, do you feel God's pleasure? I think we should. And we should strive toward that. But he also said this, you will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. Isn't that, isn't that true? Until we begin to practice it, we'll never experience it. Until we step out in faith into the unfamiliar, we'll never be able to practice God's uh, provision. It's so true. When you determine to run your race 
for and with Jesus, you will experience God. Doesn't matter what your career calling is, what your station in life, he will run the race with you if you live for him. Students, work hard in your studies. Work hard in those extracurricular activities. And when you, when you graduate and you go out to make your way, uh, work hard at what you do for his glory. But remember, he's first. And if you keep him where he's supposed to be, he'll take care of you all along the way. That's so true for all of us in life. Because the hard times do come. They do come. We are all going to make mistakes. We're all going to face problems and hardships, but we don't have to let them get us down. We can learn from both our failures and our successes and move forward with Jesus. Paul says, therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, you might not understand it all now, but if you spend some time with God, he'll show you that what I'm saying is true. And let's all have the same mind. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Oh, how the church needs to hear that today. To working together, we can do much. But we must be together. Author William Barclay says, anyone who has come to mature faith and knows what Christianity is must recognize the discipline and the effort and the agony of the Christian life. And what's he saying? He's saying it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy. Walking the Christian life can be the most difficult thing that a person could ever endeavor to do. And that's the reason why so many people who call themselves Christians don't do it. Because it's easier to just kick back and coast. Let somebody else do it. But we got to move forward. Which leads us to a final word that a growing Christian must consider. And that's the word discipline. And I'm going to be brief on this, but it's important. Those that are growing in Christ are disciplined. They're disciplined when they don't have to be. Uh, they're disciplined when nobody else is watching to do what God called them to do. And what that means is we have to run the race in the same manner as the Bible outlines for us. I wonder sometimes, I really do. You know, when we hear a story, we hear a story like some guy playing his cello in a crater in a war zone. And I might imagine there might be someone here who would say, well, preacher, what does that have to do with me? We're not living in 1990, and we're not in the middle of a war zone. Well, let me tell you what it has to do with you. If you're waiting for perfect conditions to start running with Jesus, it's probably never going to happen. If you're waiting to get all your ducks in a row to start running with Jesus, it's probably not going to happen. If you're waiting to get some great uh, uh, burning bush from God in the wilderness that's calling you forward, it's probably not going to happen. It only happened one time in the entire Bible. In the history of mankind, only one. I'm a little closer to home for you today. Our church has something that I have never heard of in a church before that I've been serving in ministry for 30 years, a contingency fund. 
I never heard of a contingency fund. That's a big pile of money that sits over in the bank. If you're waiting for God to give you two fifty, five hundred thousand, a million dollars sitting in a contingency fund, for you to be able to step out in faith, it's probably never going to happen. What he's calling you to do is to step out in faith and trust him with what he's already given to you. And I can pray God don't give another dollar to that contingency fund until people start living by faith in you alone. Because I don't want to be a part of idol worship. And I don't want to worship some fund in the bank and make it more important than God. What we ought to do is take what God's given us and put it to use. And quit worrying about him providing for tomorrow. If you're waiting for that to happen, probably never going to happen. It's time to get real and to get serious about doing what we're called to do. And not cut any corners. You know, as I was thinking about uh, following the rules of the race that Jesus lined out, you know who it made me think of? Lance Armstrong. You remember all those years he rode all those races? Oh, man, he was the best thing since sliced bread, but the only problem was he broke the rules. He used performance-enhancing drugs. And guess what? He spent all that time winning all those races, and they stripped him all away just like that because he didn't follow the rules. And the Lord Jesus is not slacking them up for us either. He says, do it this way. Do it this way. There are no shortcuts. It requires discipline. It requires discipline. Uh, run with devotion, he says. Run with determination. Uh, run with direction. Don't be satisfied with a mediocre life. Be disciplined. So that you receive not only eternal life, it comes from trusting Christ, but also a prize that will never fade, spoil, or perish. So that one day when you reach glory, you will hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that's the part that normally is always quoted, but not the second part. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. He ain't finished with you. And even in all eternity, he will not be finished with you. He will be looking to put you to work with what he provides. And then he'll finally say, enter into the joy of your Lord. What a day that will be. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but this text encourages me to run harder, to, to seek after him more. And to say, Lord, with you I can do what I need to do. With you I can overcome. So that I'm doing what you called me to, which is what he desires. And I pray that we'll take it to heart, church. Father, I thank you for your word. challenges us so much. We face a little bit of hardship. And we want to sit down sometimes. Or we just say, well, I can't do it. But we know that we can with your help. So, Father, I pray that you'll continue to work in all of our hearts, that you will continue to draw us all to yourself, and that we'll feel this overwhelming uh, call and this sense of calling upon our lives to be used for you in a little bit of time we have left. Reaching out to those who have hearts for you. 
so that when the time comes, we're ready to share. And Lord, we'll leave all the rest of it with you, trusting you for all things. And we pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for a brief moment of invitation? If you would sing number 320 with us, please. Number 320. Is there a going away song? Yes. All right. Well, let's, let's get that one going. And then right after that, there'll be a brief break for those of you who need to leave to leave. And then we're going to have a brief business meeting. Okay? All right. We're going to sing the doxology. Join hands. Praise, Praise God, 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 God,